Hello everyone. I hope you're well, staying healthy, experiencing more love than ever in challenging times when our usual schedules are disrupted. It can be frustrating, unnerving, but it also can bring out the best in us. Because unusual conditions pressure us to see parts of ourselves, both for the good and sometimes for not so good, that you would not usually see. So this week we're going to be discussing a topic that is always relevant, but perhaps now more than ever. Are you judgmental? That's what we'll be discussing. I remember more than once, obviously, but just one scene comes vividly to mind. It was a number of months ago, before the pandemic hit, someone came to see me. It was a middle-aged woman who um, had a challenging life, difficulties, was in a marriage, got out of a marriage, had challenges with her children. And uh, clearly she had worked on herself, a lot of therapy, a lot of introspection, could see the pain, prices were paid. But she said to me, you know, after all the work I've done, there's something I just can't get out of my system. I grew up in a home, my mother, she says. Every meal, every free moment, she has something to say about our neighbors, about co-workers of my father's, about relatives, about this one, about that one. She had opinion on everyone and a judgment on everyone. And this became part of my second nature, that you just naturally judge. You hear something, you right away have an opinion. You right away have a judgment. And I really, as much as I've worked on it, I continue to do exactly what I hated my mother doing with my own children. I judge them with people that I've loved. And when I step back, I say, why? There are many angles to a human being. So it's a case study, and I don't mean it in any depersonalized fashion. It's a case study because I'm able to speak to someone who actually is going through it. And unfortunately, many of us have this challenge. And often it does come from our childhoods. Because when we see something on an ongoing basis in our formative years, it shapes us. But what's so fascinating and, and so sad, actually, and tragic is that we're not born judgmental. You think a newborn is born judgmental? You think young children are judgmental? They only pick up judgmentalism from their parents, from their environment. They see others doing it, and they copy it. So it's not our natural state, which is what I told her, and I say to each one of us, and say it to myself. It's not our natural state. As soon as you know it's not your natural state, that already is a light at the end of the tunnel, because then how do we get back to our natural state? So I'm going to pose a bunch of questions. Now, I know many of you will say, if I asked you if you're judgmental, many people will say, I oh, know I'm not. It's a very embarrassing thing to say, yes, I'm judgmental, especially in the climate today when you talk about racism and prejudices and biases. But the fact of the matter is that human beings by nature have a certain judgmental side, and it's not all bad. 
Because what's the difference between being judgmental and having discretion? Does not being judgmental mean you accept everything? You agree with everything? Everything goes? So how do we draw the line between a strong opinion, a moral opinion about something, and not judging a person who may not behave in the way you consider the standard and value of whatever that morality may be? That's a key distinction. So it's important to acknowledge that there's elements of our being that requires judgment. I mean, we do call the word judgment, for example, justice. Calling someone to justice, someone who did a crime, you want them to be accountable. So we do judge them. And there are judges that sit in judgment in a court of law. Is that judgment fine? Is that acceptable? Why? Is it because someone is trained? Or is it because the person is a criminal? Do we judge the criminal? Or do we judge his actions, her actions? So there's more to this. It's not that simplistic as saying you're a judgmental person, you're non-judgmental. Because many people who are non-judgmental, you can also say they have no standards. They don't stand for anything. Everything goes. They don't like confrontation. Everything goes. I remember once in a class many years ago, many years ago, the early years of this class, in its earlier stages of its evolution, back in the last century, the 80s, we had a discussion about what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. And one person adamantly argued that there is no such an answer to that. It's all subjective. What's, for some people, what is called evil, for other people, is not evil. For some people, it's called good, for other people, is not good. And as much as there was, I remember I was sitting quietly on the side, or at the head of the table, not, not responding. I wanted to see how people interacted. You know, of course, you start bringing the extreme examples. Hitler killing, deliberate killing six million Jews or other such tyrants throughout history that, that completely mercilessly persecuted and executed innocent men, women, and children. So he kept on being devil's advocate? No. From his perspective, there was a reason. It ended up being, in his point of view, that everything is arbitrary. So that's, of course, important as well. Because if indeed that's the case, and I'm not agreeing, I'm just saying hypothetically, then there's no room for judgment altogether. Everything is, there is relative. Maybe there's nothing wrong. Just because you think it's wrong doesn't mean it is. So non-judgmentalism suddenly can turn into being equally problematic. What do they say, the expression? Those that are compassionate to criminals will end up being criminals to the good, to innocent people. Or however it's phrased. So in that context, isn't judgment connected to standards? On the other hand, we all know that judgmentalism is a negative word, that you're judgmental of people. In the case study that I mentioned before, the person I mentioned before. So how do we make heads and tails? How do we clarify the matter? As always, you can address it on a symptomatic level. Say, okay, here's case by case. Let's see what the story is. Where's judgment allowed? Where's judgment not allowed? Or, which is what I'm going to do, is go to the root of the issues. It's really about how we see ourselves and see others. If indeed we are not born judgmental people, which means that you'll see children can play with each other, even though 
their parents may not get along, and their parents may have different political and psychological and spiritual persuasions, but the children can get along. They're not aware of these differences. If that's indeed the case, then you see at the root level of a human being, we're not judgmental people. But then you could argue, because they're children, they're naive, they don't know anything. If they knew better, they necessarily, they not necessarily would play with that child, because that child may be the child of a cruel person. But does that pass on to the next generation? So really it comes down to the heart of it, of how we look at ourselves and look at others. I'll just make this bold and opening statement regarding the matter. Judgmentalism is not judgmentalism. And being judgmental is absolutely unacceptable in all circumstances. Yes, I don't usually speak in absolutes, but I will say this in an absolute form. I'll tell you why. Judgmentalism does not, none being, non, being judgmental, being non-judgmental does not mean that you're compromising your standards. The, because you have a strong opinion, a moral issue, something in the value system, your ethical system, you believe a certain approach is healthy and ethical. Then you see someone behaving unethically from your context. You can completely disagree with the person, but where did you get the right to judge that person? Are you God? Did you create that person? I'm saying even if you're correct, which is also a big question, Maybe the, you don't know the circumstances. Maybe it's not how you understand it. Maybe there are different standards. Maybe there are different opinions. Maybe you're not right. Let's assume that you are right. Being correct and having a strong opinion and a standard and saying you have the right to be judgmental is not the same thing. Why? Because we all have to be humble in the fact that we are entities that were created and put here on this earth. If you don't accept that principle, I submit, you will end up being judgmental and you'll be critical and you can even be far worse than that. And I don't mean you, anyone in particular. I mean a person, hypothetically. Because once you've given yourself the right to not just have an opinion, not just to have a standard, and a beautiful standard, by all means, but you can determine the destiny of another and I don't mean necessarily that you have control over the other, but in your mind, you're judging them, you've crossed a line that is not in the domain of human beings. And I'll cite a Talmudic statement. Always be humble before every person. Every person. Even a person who may have full of flaws and mistakes and iniquities. is the Hebrew expression. Shval Ruach literally means of low spirit, meaning feel lowly. Not inferior, but feel humble before anyone. And why? The explanation is because never judge another person until you're in their shoes. Now it's interesting. There it says never judge until. That means once you are in their shoes, you could judge. That's not the, the, the full meaning. It means you're never in someone else's shoes. Someone else's position what challenges they face, what faculties and resources they have. This again does not mean that that person may be doing the right thing. It's an attitude, so it all begins with a certain principle, axiom, the humility of life, the humility of being alive. It's not all about you. 
So judgmentalism, and especially in the negative sort, we'll talk about judges and courts of law and justice soon. Put that aside for a moment. Judgmentalism is essentially you're determining that you are some form of entity, authority. And again, not because you feel you can pass a verdict and even determine and sentence someone and uh, punish them. We're not going there. That for sure is not in our domain. But even the mere fact that you've come to a judgment, it's missing a fundamental principle, which is your, the humility that each of us has to have. We're not self-made creatures. Now, if we thought, if I thought, if you thought I was God, and I don't think that at all, and I don't even want that, if I thought, someone thought, I am the creator. I created myself. Maybe I didn't create others, but I'm a creator. If you have that type of sense that you are self-contained and it's all about you, of course you're going to be judgmental. Because it all begins with, I am me and everyone else. Now I can measure and judge and determine what, who they are and what they are. So that's point number one, that we don't have a right to judge. We have a right to our opinion. We have a right to standards. We have a right to teach our children, ourselves, expectations of the people we interact with. You can choose to work with someone or not work with them, to partner with them, not partner with them, to invest with them or not. But judgment is not for us to do. To, it's not in our domain. It's not our control. And the reason for that is because every human being is equal in the sense that we were put here. If you're a believer, you'll call it a creator. I'm only saying if to be able to have an all-encompassing discussion. This is not based on that you have to accept the belief in God, even though I'm of the belief, no pun intended, that everybody has some form of belief. Some people call it nature, some people call it in, um, in natural selection, some people call it whatever they call it the magic, the miracle of life, that there's a sanctity and a value to a human life, not just to ours, but to everybody's. By the mere fact that they exist gives them a right to be and therefore does not give us a right to judge. You're not that person. You don't have the same temperament or personality. And you don't know what's going on in their lives. But even if you did know, even if it's someone close friend of yours, and you know everything that they ch- their, all their challenges, that statement I said, don't judge someone until you're in their shoes, is f- accurate. But it's also stay, stay humble even for people you know well. Even if you can understand their circumstances, you still don't have the right to judge because judgment is taking it to a level which is you determining you have that right. Who gave you that right? And what, pr- what benefit is there? You can hold up your standards and not compromise them without having to judge others. Does someone else have to be wrong for you to be right? Even if you disagree with them. So I disagree. I think you're wrong. But the judgment part is crossing the line. So why do we, why are we judgmental? It goes back to a discussion I've had a number of times, and that is goes back to stereotypes. Do we stereotype? Another question, do you stereotype? Many people like to say, no, I don't. I have not found a person who doesn't stereotype, including myself. 
Because stereotyping by, by definition is not necessarily all negative. It means you see something, it looks a certain way, the mind organizes and says, this seems to belong on this and this shelf. I meet an accountant, I'm going to put him in my contact list, he's an accountant. Is that a stereotype? Or is that a categorization for convenience purposes and efficiency? Now you may find that he's not an accountant. Or you may find that he's a very type of unique personality. So there's a normal process where we, I, you know, I know we don't like to, we won't call it a stereotype, but it's like you say someone's like the accountant type, the lawyer type. So in a very innocent, innocuous way, we have stereotyped to a certain extent, but it's not always ne- necessarily destructive. It's trying to organize in that sense. The truth is that also should be looked at because people are not the same. But in many areas, that's what we do. We'll bunch certain people together. They say, oh, they are from this and this category. Where does it become destructive and even hateful is when you start judging them, when you start saying, oh, these are Jews, these are blacks, these are whites, white supremacists. And I'm not trying to compare them all. I'm just saying you're putting people into categories. And then suddenly you find out, one second, what does that mean? Among that group itself, among the Jews themselves, or among the blacks, there are many different types. It would be like saying, because one Jew behaved a certain way, all Jews are that way. Or one person is a criminal, all people of that race are criminals. So what we're doing then is not just classifying individuals, we're passing, coming to a conclusion. Judgmentalism is similar. It's coming from a place where you're determining something about someone and labeling them and in turn judging them a certain way by either the the group they come from, the country they come from, the race they come from, or the personality type you've decided is something worth criticizing or judging. What really lies at the heart? Why do we need to do that? What drives a person? So it's an interesting way to look at it. I've challenged many people when I see them being judgmental, and I say, what's driving you to be judgmental? And very often the response is very innocent and very simple, but it's not. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just standing up for what's right. This person is wrong. I'm standing for what's right. And therefore that person who's done a criminal act or done something wrong needs to be judged, needs to be arrested, needs to be indicted prosecuted, imprisoned. I mean, that's taking it all the way. If you don't go all the way, I'm judging because I stand for something. I'm not judging. I stand for a, for a higher standard. And that person is not living up to it. That's often the justification. But if you ask them, you know what, you can make the statement that you feel this and this is the right thing to do and that person is not doing it. Why do you have to add that judgmental element of classifying that person and criticizing him and so on. Because I need my children to know what's right and what's wrong. And if I don't criticize, they may think that that behavior is acceptable. Now, what do you answer to that? The answer is no. You can teach your children and yourself that behavior may not be acceptable while the person still remains a human being. They still have dignity. Even a criminal in prison who has been established, has hurt other people, 
And they cannot be in the public because they are danger to themselves and to others. What should we teach people? Their behavior was the problem. The person? The person was created by God, just as you were created by God. It's sad. It's tragic. They wandered off. A separation between behavior and the individual. Now, the individual, of course, is determined by behavior. If the behavior is destructive enough and ongoing, you have no choice. The person has essentially put themselves in a situation where their behavior is controlling them. But even then, we never put past judgment on the individual. You pass judgment on the conditions, the circumstances, but you never want to invalidate a human being. You invalidate their behavior, not the human being. So then why do people still do it? Now, I don't like blanket responses, but I can tell you that insecurity lies at the heart of many of our vices. Often we criticize others because we're insecure with our own position. So the easiest way is just to dismiss someone else. You'll find very secure people are very easy to coexist with. Because I'm secure. I feel secure in my position. I don't need to invalidate someone else for me to feel more validated. You'll find people who who have a habit, a nasty habit, a bad habit, of criticizing everybody. And when you cut through the smoke screens, you'll find that they really criticize, they have really low self-esteem, and they really also criticize themselves. But it's easier to just criticize everybody. People who have that tendency, you have to look at their own pathology. It may look like, especially if they're smart, they can cover their tracks, that no, it's not about me, I'm very fine. But we have to make a statement that that person is unacceptable. I didn't just say the behavior is unacceptable. The person is unacceptable. Why do you have to do that? Why do we have to character assassinate? It's the easy way for many people to get what they want without really having to do the work. Look at our own political polarization. It has to be personalized. You start personalizing. I don't like that person. I hate that person. Instead of saying I have a different position, I have a different political position, I have a different attitude, it's, in a way, it's also lazy. I don't mean lazy in a, in a simplistic way. I mean, it's, it's easy. It's just easy to dismiss. It's harder to say, one second, that person is a fine person. I can agree with certain things, some things I disagree with. That requires discretion. That requires nuance. requires thought and introspection. Now, interestingly, judgment can also be on yourself. You can judge yourself as well. You can be self-critical. People do that, especially when they were criticized and invalidated by parents and others. You start judging. You start becoming your own worst enemy, second-guessing and always questioning yourself, which, of course, seems bizarre because we all seem to have a healthy ego. So why would you criticize yourself? But that's what happens. Judgmentalism erodes the human spirit whatever direction it's coming from, and no matter who it's directed to. Because it's attacking the value of a human being. It's not attacking the behavior. It's the human being that's being under assault. And that is unacceptable. So then how do we move through this? And go, let's 
address the question also of justice, law, and order, where a person, either through evidence or something that is accused of a particular crime, they're indicted, they're brought before a court of law, before a judge, before a jury, and in Hebrew too, we have shefet is the word for judges, appoint judges and law enforcers at your gates and all your municipalities and all your communities. It's part of a process. It's one of the central laws of civilization, law and order, that the people have to be accountable. And they're brought before peers who will gather evidence and witnesses to determine. The person proclaims their innocence. They're subjective, but if there's enough evidence, they can be um, punished. Human beings have determined. I'm not getting into what type of punishment and whether every punishment is appropriate. That's not relevant here. So that seems to be quite judgmental. That is actually called judgment, sitting in judgment. Is that acceptable? And how is that different from everything I've said till now? And then how, why can't we, each one of us, yes, we're not, we don't have the authority of a judge or a law enforcer, but why can't all of us sit in judgment the same way? It's an excellent question. So there's actually a verse in the Bible, in the Torah, that addresses it. It says, you shall judge the people and you shall save them. That's the expression. Now, what does that mean? What do you mean save them? If they're judged and they're guilty, then you don't save them. Then you uh, put them away or you punish them in some way. So how could you say you save them? Because the role of a judge is not to judge a human being. It's to expect accountability. Yes. It's to also help that person help themselves. People sometimes can do things, behavior that they said is destructive to them and to others. And if they're not, they don't correct their ways, part of human civilization is we expect accountability. Yet we use the word judgment, and it's true, Schaefer, judge, but it's used in a very different way. Not, we're not meaning to judge them. We're meaning to hold them accountable. Because without accountability, we lose our dignity. The same reason why we have no right to judge someone is the same reason why we hold them accountable. Someone will say, you know what? Since you say everybody's sacred, no one is accountable. Everyone can do whatever they want. No, part of sanctity of life means you have responsibility. So you'll say, well, that's God's business. No, but we live among each other. So we were told, establish courts of law establish justice, establish systems of law. People are accountable. I'm talking about even human systems. I'm not talking now divine system. Human systems, green lights, red lights, laws that allow for coexistence. If it were not for the fear of government, it says in the ethics of the fathers, people would swallow one each other of our lives because we also have another side to us. With all our human dignity and all our spiritual souls indispensability, we have another side called selfishness and self-interest that can get in the way. Everything I've said is not a contradiction to the failings and the flaws and the vices of human nature. We also have that. So what happens then? Here you have a pure person, born, a sacred soul, divine image, creating a divine image, no right to judge this soul, but that person just chooses to behave in a way that's destructive. So how do we dissect this? 
So here's how we dissect it. We say, the sacred soul is still there. Unfortunately, it's now been imprisoned. Imprisoned by the other voice inside this person that has chosen the voice of selfishness, a voice of exploiting others, corruption, criminal behavior, abuse, toxic, whatever word you want to use for it. So we're not dismissing that the person has a sacred soul. On the contrary, if they were just an animal in the wild, we don't judge predators. We don't hold them accountable. They're born that way. That's how they're created. When they're hungry, they will go out to hunt for prey and do so mercilessly and bloody, bloody. And that's part of the way nature works. But a human being, because you are created in a divine image and you have a safe sanctity to your life, so we expect more. We expect you to choose correctly. But if a person chooses the wrong way, for whatever reason, it may be not deliberate, it may be a mistake, which is why we have to determine that. There's a difference between a deliberate sin, a deliberate crime, and an undeliberate one. Premeditated, accidental. Each situation has to be assessed. But let's take the extreme case where it was deliberate and so on. This doesn't take away from their sanctity, but now their behavior has affected others and hurt others. And there's accountability. Accountability is part of the process of redeeming and freeing their spirit. You'll say, no, we'll just ignore it and let that person continue their criminal behavior. No, that's not respecting the dignity of the person. That's the contrary. That's lying. That's trying to cover up. Dignity includes accountability. The expression I often use is, trust is not built on perfection, it's built on accountability. Accountability is part of the process of respecting someone. I, I respect you enough to hold you accountable. Now, it's not because I am the judge and you're not. We have to create a system of law where you have objective. You can't have someone who sits in judgment, not someone that's subjective, someone who's objective, listening to, object, to evidence objectively, listening to witnesses, and says, yes, this person has done something wrong, and they're a danger to others. So, therefore, as a deterrent, this is how we save them, not how we hurt them. Now, if the judge has one iota, one fiber of personal vendetta, they, should, they have no right to sit there. It has to be someone who's only interested in what is true and holds someone accountable. And a real judge in that sense, even though I'm using the word, would say, I am not here to condemn you as a person. That is, you are created by God like everybody. But I'm here to commend, condemn what you did. We have evidence that you did something. And as a result, you have to be held accountable. That's very different when it spills over into this judgmental, critical approach that I mentioned earlier. That's an objective process of holding someone accountable. It's not a judgment. Now, will people make that mistake? Of course. You see it throughout history. You see it that sometimes in a court of law, someone is, is declared guilty, and you see people start applauding. Now, they may applaud for good reason, which is that justice was done, but sometimes there are people who have a little pleasure and they, are, they personalize it. Now, it's not an easy thing because if someone was hurt, if someone was hurt by a criminal, someone was killed 
someone's family member was killed by a criminal, it's very difficult not to judge the person. And you want vengeance. And you want them to be hurt. You want, you want them to tit for tat, eye for an eye. Well, the healthy approach is that vengeance is not through hurting them as they've hurt someone else. Vengeance is to, yes, to get them to be rehabilitate, to get them off the streets and stop being a danger to others. But that ultimate goal is not to personalize it, as difficult as it may be. And I'm not saying that lightly. When I think of my brothers and sisters, when I think of my families, Jews who were targeted because they were Jews, innocent men, women, and children, ripped away from their homes, children ripped away from their mothers and fathers, gassed for no reason. Of course my blood boils. And yes, I, and I hold the Nazis accountable and probably spills over to also judging them. That's work to be done. You'll say, so what's wrong with that? There it's very difficult to argue because what am I going to start saying? No, we shouldn't judge them. But we have to hold them accountable. Their behavior was absolutely unacceptable. Now, obviously, there's due process and so on. But at the same time, in a way you cry that human beings could fall to such a level where they're no longer human and behave like worse than animals. You cry for that. But it's not about vengeance in the sense, well, I want that person killed. Even though they may deserve it. Because at the end of the day, what we learn from Joseph, Joseph had the right to judge his brothers more than anyone. Joseph's brothers, in their jealousy, they took and they almost killed their brother Joseph. Instead, they sold them into slavery. 22 years. His beloved father, Jacob, thought he was dead. And they had forgotten it. They didn't forget it, but they had like made believe they could forget it. And then what happens? 22 years later, they meet Joseph, viceroy, second in command to the king alone, to Pharaoh in Egypt. You can imagine what they felt like. That moment when Joseph says, I am Joseph, your brother. Shame? Embarrassed? That's putting it mildly. They were completely at loss. And they were also completely at his mercy. He could have done anything to them. He was the second in command. They were in Egypt. He already had imprisoned Shimon, one of the tribes, one of his brothers, and was about to do the same with Benjamin. So it's not about fear for themselves, but their whole situation. And was he entitled? Of course. What did they do? They took their own brother. And they basically got rid of him. And yet Joseph tells them calmly, full composure, he says, you did not send me here. God sent me here. To become a source of sustenance to you and to our father and to our families and to the world. Now, what it takes in a human being to be able to transcend and rise to the occasion is hard to imagine. Didn't have one tinge of anger? One tinge of vengeance? Of judgment? How could you do such a thing? So how do we reconcile? On one hand, what Joseph was oblivious to what they did, of course he wasn't oblivious. He knew what they did to him. But here was the point. He did not personalize it. He fully understood what they did, but he would not allow himself to be defined by that. Had he judged them, had he exacted vengeance, 
Had he done anything of that nature, he would now have been consumed or at least defined by what they did to him. He saw his life, yes, they did a terrible thing and they will have to be accountable one day or then or never. But me, I was meant to be here. God wanted me to be here. And I took my circumstances, instead of behaving like a victim and behaving like someone who was hurt, I realized that I have a purpose. My purpose is to save the world, to provide the sustenance, the grain industry, which, which was the survival due to the great famine that happened at that time. And he turned Egypt into a superpower. So the distinction is, no, we're not suggesting that we're overlooking what was done. We're suggesting that I am not going to be defined by it, by becoming a judgmental person, a critical person, because then it means my own dignity has been defiled. Now, how do you draw that line? It's not easy, but it's a very clear line. The clear line is between seeing something that's wrong and judging the person who did the wrong thing. Holding them accountable, yes. Making sure those that have to hold them accountable will hold them accountable. doesn't mean all of us have to do that. But I do not stoop and do not become shaped by that. When you see judgmentalism, which comes especially from insecurity, someone who's incessantly, continuously speaking about this one and that one and judging people. How could they do this? How could they do that? What kind of nerve? Besides the fact that we don't know what their situation is. And if you knew the situation, maybe you'd have a very different attitude. Even if you do have, what is this? What is this? What, who determined that you are the person that, de that defines what's right or wrong? In the sense of the personalizing of it. And this is the work we need to do. We need to be able to distinguish between something that is wrong and turning it into an attack or a dismissal, an invalidation of the person who did that wrong thing. On a very basic level, your child comes home from school and you get a report from them, a note or a call from the teacher, your child was very bad today. Your child hurt other children. I'll just use that as an example. Or failed at their child's grades. Bad report. So you have three types of attitudes possible. One parent, my child can do no wrong. No. Nope. Must be the principal, the teacher, the other students, other parents, everybody else except my child. And completely denial, even though there is something that was done wrong, objectively. Another side, another, uh, another approach is, oh, you did that? You're grounded, you'll be disciplined, you'll be punished, without even looking into it. You go ahead and just simply, not just reprimand, but you punish your child. And even if the child deserves it, you add to the demoralization of the child by telling her, look how terrible you are, him or her. Demoralizing, breaking their spirit. So you may wonder, that's it, what other options are there? There's a third option. The first option is completely ignoring the wrong. Okay, no judgmentalism, but also no standards. 
and you could actually create a monster, your child sees, oh, he can get away with anything, a spoiled brat. The second group, the second approach was judgmentalism. You judge the chun, your child, disciplined, demoralized, did everything to break the spirit of this person. The third approach is this, the more complicated one, but the healthy one. You sit your child down. You obviously try to find out as much information as possible. It's always helpful. And say, you know, what happened today was unacceptable. You don't hurt another person. You don't pick up your hand to hit someone. You don't bully someone, whatever it may be. I love you deeply. That's why I'm speaking to you. I love you so deeply that I feel hurt that you're not living up to the great standards that you can live up to. You're a far, far better person. As a result of what you did, there has to be some form of discipline, some form of deterrent, that you should realize the gravity of what you did. So from love, care, we're going to not allow you to ground you for an hour, for a day, whatever it may be. The most important focus here is that you love the child. It's the love that's driving the accountability, not the anger, not the judgment, not Therefore, it doesn't lead to demoralization. It leads to uplifting the spirit. Will the child be happy? You'll say, what difference does it make? You're also punishing the child. The third is doing what the second did. No, but you are conveying love. Will the child understand immediately? No, the child may be very angry. I'm being grounded. It's not my fault. It was someone else. Blah, blah, blah. We're not talking about what the child thinks, what you think. You must never allow yourself to become controlled by your being upset and anger at what happened. And if you are, the advice would be, don't talk to your child yet. Sleep on it. Wait till tomorrow morning. Approach your child out of strength, not out of weakness. A judgmental person is coming out of weakness, whether their own insecurity or their need to just solve the problem quickly. A healthy person is coming from a very secure, solid place. Something wrong was done. Let's now figure out cerebrally, not emotionally, what needs to be done to correct this. Now something, we're talking obviously something serious. This is the third approach. So you're acknowledging something wrong, but it's not, that's not about judgmentalism. Now I know it could be semantics. That's why I'm explaining the words I mean. You're not sitting in judgment. You're not demoralizing. You're not invalidating. On the contrary, it's validating, it's the dignity of your child, the dignity of the human being, and you expect more. That's why it says, judge the nation, judge the community, and save them, preserve them. Because the goal is to preserve, the goal is to be accountable, the goal is to lift, the goal is to clean up. It's like somebody who is cleaning up the dust in the house of a beautiful mansion. Yes, you need to clean the dust, you can't ignore it and say, oh, it's so beautiful, I don't even see the dust. You clean the dust, but you do so because not because you hate dust, but because a beautiful mansion needs to be clean and beautiful. So the attitude is, the reason I am upset about something wrong done is because it has defiled, it has violated. You have betrayed yourself. It's betrayed the divine spirit, the dignity of the human being. Can we teach each other to assume this approach, this attitude. So there are people who are just trapped, they're so trapped in their way of looking at things. And if I would say, you're judgmental, they'll say, well, 
aren't you judgmental by calling me judgmental? That may be so, but I wouldn't call someone judgmental. That's not the approach. It's not the goal. Because judgmental is also we shouldn't be judgmental. However, we have to call a spade a spade. If someone's behaving that way, we have to teach each other. Do you judge yourself? I know that I mentioned earlier some people do. But very often those that criticize others, they may have that problem even more than the other and they are, they're fine with it. Because self-love tends to gloss over, tends to cover up on people's personal flaws. And of course, never judge someone until you came to their location, to their space, their position. Because when you find, sometimes you find the odd things about what a person has gone through, you say, oh wow, had I known that, I would never have said anything. That still doesn't mean their behavior is perfect. But what does that tell you? That's a perfect example. They tell this uh, story, it's an analogy. There's a person traveling. It was a long trip, and he was tired, and he was lying down to rest. And suddenly there's a racket. There's a man there with a bunch of kids, four or five kids. They're rowdy. They're annoying, a nuisance, disrupting. And he got really upset. So first he thought maybe he'd go away. Finally, he gets so angry, he yells at the father. He says, what's the matter with you? It's your children. Can you just get them to sit down quietly? It's late at night. We're all traveling here. We need some peace and quiet. Which just seems like a normal reaction some people would have. You know, enough is enough. Okay. The father is very sheepish. Look. Says to the children, please, please quiet down. The man wants to sleep. Afterwards, someone comes over to this gentleman who yelled at the father and said, I want you to know something. This man and his children, they just lost his wife and their mother. They're coming back from the funeral. What do you think happened? This individual was so felt so bad, he went to try to reach the father to apologize. Now, the children were still rowdy. Was that appropriate? But what changed was he realized, I don't even know what they're going through compared to what they're going through. So it's all fine. They were a little a nuisance. He suddenly realized that he personalized it and he attacked them, not recognizing what's going on. How often is that the situation? We don't know what people have gone through. Again, this doesn't mean that their behavior is correct. I deal with this almost on a daily basis. Someone says, I was very abused emotionally by my parents, by my parent. And unfortunately, because of that, I'm, I'm not, I have no emotional intelligence. I don't know how to emote. I don't love my children properly. I yell at them. I try not to do it to them what was done to me, but it's not easy. So when you hear that, you say, you know, you have a different attitude than someone who's just abusing children who has not been abused. But does that make it correct? So the response is, that's exactly your mission, to not do to them that was done to you. That's the work. Is it easy? So of course when you hear this, you feel more compassion when you know what someone went through. But that still doesn't mean, and you don't want to give them the license. Of course you'll have that compassion, more sensitivity, you give them more leeway. 
But at the end of the day, you want them to grow to be a greater person. You don't want to say, oh, because it happened to you, fine, everything is fine. That's like the first option. Everything is fine. No, it's not fine. But let's work together on it. We both recognize it's not fine. You agree it's not fine. Yes, I agree. But I can't control myself. So let's figure out how to control ourselves. Judgment is when it becomes something that you dismiss the person. You almost give up on them. Why don't you go and help them? You see someone doing something wrong? Go inspire them. You'll say, well, I've tried. Okay, you may not be the person. Let someone else do it. Find a way to correct the situation. Are you, by being judgmental and critical, are you part of the problem or part of the solution? And God knows we all are challenged. I have situations I think back on where I was judgmental. I saw something and I like dismissed that person. I say, okay, you know. Could I have done something? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Now even if you see something inappropriate and you enter, intervene, you see someone doing something wrong to another, that doesn't mean you're being judgmental. That means you're going to do something correct or wrong. Accountability. Standing up for a standard. This, my friends, is what we need more than ever. The ability to have standards and values, and we don't have to dilute them just because everybody, to make everybody accept everything acceptable. At the same time, we never personalize. I have to say, I grew up in a home, especially my father, an environment, there was no judgmentalism. Yes, there were strong opinions and standards, but judgmentalism, no. My father was a journalist. He would publish articles that he completely disagreed with. We're not talking about something that was obscene or something that really was destructive. But he completely disagreed with ideologically, philosophically, religiously, spiritually. But it was interesting. He was able to see another, allow another person to express their opinion. Are we able to have a conversation where you and I disagree and you let me speak and I let you speak? I don't have to cut you off. I don't have to get angry. I don't have to dismiss you. What are you talking about? We can speak. I Very often I say to somebody, One, I have a different opinion. They say, no, if you really heard what I said, you wouldn't have a different opinion. How arrogant, right? I say, I do have a different opinion. It's perfectly fine. This doesn't have to be a dismissal of another. You don't have to silence someone, even if you disagree with their opinion. Because you're recognizing the dignity of a soul, the dignity of a life, the dignity of a personality, everything that comes with that, that allows a person the right to speak. And if you're good and inspiring, perhaps you can convince them. Not in a coercing them or manipulating, but by the merit of this issue. Maybe you won't be able to. You may find someone who's very obstinate which can be very infuriating. That makes it even harder to not be judgmental because if they're obstinate, you see they're not even open to hear another opinion. But I've had, how many times have I said to someone, are you able to hear another opinion? And of course the retort is, are you? So I say, let's try. You say what you have to say. I'll say what I have to say. Let's see. Maybe we can come away with something better and greater that each of us contribute to the other. This is the type of discourse and conversations that we should be having. So as an exercise, why don't you try it? Whether it's your spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's, a, I don't want to say enemy, someone, a stranger, try to have a conversation in a new way. 
Try it out as an exercise. It's a good challenge. Where usually you'd be combative and, and you're arguing and so on. Say, I have my opinion. What do you think? And be patient. Exercise restraint. Quiet. Listen. And go back and say, you know what? I heard what you said. I have to say I generally disagree with it or I usually disagree. I, in the past I disagree. But I think I see some merit in what you're saying. I think I can see it from your perspective. Now I'm not talking about saying it just to say it. See if that's correct. Sometimes the person is saying something you don't find any merit. It's usually not the case. Everything has some semblance, something. But it's a good exercise for the human spirit, an exercise in humility, an exercise in stepping back. And very often you will see deeper truths emerge. Now, of course, there are people out there that are very difficult to talk to and communicate. So I wouldn't dismiss them, but you know what? Choose your battles. You could say, I don't know what to do in this case. I have people come to see me, and I sometimes tell them I'm at loss of words. I don't have suggestions or interventions. So I say, let me think about it. At this point, I don't really know what I can do. I'm not sure if I could be of help here. Nothing wrong with being honest. I'm not dismissing them and saying, maybe someone else will be able to get through to that person. So you see, my dear friends, there's such a, a wide, wide range of options. Above all, recognizing the, the value, the dignity and majesty of the human spirit and its journey, I should add. Because the journey, yes, people's journeys. I sometimes hear things, hear things about people's journey and I say, wow, I'm in awe. How did this person make it? The exact opposite of judgment. I'm in awe. And still, that doesn't justify any misbehavior, but in awe that what they went through to get here. Bring out the best in people. As I said, never demoralize. Something wrong, that's a particular flaw. Let's address it. Now, obviously, I should just qualify. I'm not addressing any type of medical conditions where people have personality disorders or other issues that distort their view there. They would need medical intervention. It's a whole other story. There, there's chemical issues and so on. Here, I'm discussing, obviously, things that we can address, that we have the power to address. And clearly, you can't judge someone who has any type of um, emotional or mental issue that needs to be addressed because that may be the factor. So that's just something just to qualify. But above all, let us seize judgmentalism. Let us have discretion, what is right, what is wrong, Stand for something. Fight for it. Fight for the light. But you don't have to judge the darkness. You do what you need to do to avoid it. Make sure it does not harm. You bring light in and it dispels darkness. But we are agents, ambassadors of light. We're not here to dispense judgment, to dismiss, to criticize. We're here to grow. And even if it's done something to you, like with Joseph, you realize... I'm not going to judge them. God put me here. There's a deeper purpose. Not to allow ourselves to become embroiled, entangled in that vicious cycle. So you did this to me. I did this to you. I want just, just, justice. You want it because it's right, not because it makes you feel good. When we can all look at each other and beginning with looking at the people we know and say, you are a divine agent, a divine image sent to this world, a beautiful, pure soul. 
And yes, there may be some flaws. We all have flaws. But the beautiful soul, that's how we have to begin to look at each other. Or if we already do, then reinforce that. Imagine seven and a half billion people on this planet would be able to see the divine image in each other. What kind of world this would be. And it all begins right here. Because seven and a half billion people, or 7.8 billion to be exact, and counting, are just a bunch of individuals like you and I, just many of them. So we need to begin in our own sphere of influence, our own circle. And that can be through conveying this message and saying, writing, tonight, tomorrow, the next day, hey, I heard a beautiful class, if you consider this beautiful. You and I are beautiful people, beautiful souls. We may make our mistakes, but that doesn't define us. We need to be accountable. Share it if you feel it resonates. Let's create a ripple effect that ultimately reaches one after the other, another, another. A flame igniting another flame, another flame, ad infinitum. And the original, the original flame never gets diminished. Let's create a world of light. I'm not naive. I understand there are challenges, there are difficulties. But those of us that can do that, let's do it. That's how you start untangling things. And then we'll deal with the more difficult tangles as we go along. Hey, God bless you all. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, www.meaningfullife.com. Every Wednesday, this program is a live called Masterclass Wednesday. Please visit our website, meaningfullife.com, for a full schedule of programs and events addressing issues of our time, relevant issues that, that we are concerned with, personal lives, our psychological, emotional, spiritual lives. Share if you found this to be valuable. Join us. Join me. Let's all partner together in making this better world. We're on all the platforms that are out there, on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram, LinkedIn, other social media. So you can subscribe on many different levels, podcasts, WhatsApp, you name it. And please share your thoughts, share your feedback. Any insights, any comments are all welcome. Everyone be blessed and have a very good week. Thank you very much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.